Anyway, my name is Pastor Gabe, and um, as Pastor Zach mentioned, I'm one of the pastors at Our Savior's Church at the Broussard campus, and um, it's a great honor for me to be here with you guys this morning, and I'm going to let you know something. You know this, but you are a part of a much bigger thing than what you see coming in here every Sunday morning. There are stories about what God is doing right here in Crowley that have spread into the neck of the woods in Broussard and into Lafayette and then to some of our other family of churches in Mandeville. And so the rumor, if you will, or the legend of what God is doing here in Crowley is around. And so thank you guys for letting me be a part of what God is doing this morning. And so, of course, I want to give honor to your pastor. How many of you love your pastor? Pastor Zach, great. I mean, he and I, we, we did. We spent time together at a, a Bible school called Master's Commission. And uh, we, we spent a lot of time together. We lived in a dorm together. We saw the best of each other, the worst of each other. And uh, he's just, he's a phenomenal man. And even back then, we're talking 10, 11 years ago, when we, he and I met, maybe 12 years ago at this point, he was just a godly man at that point. And so to see what God has done in Pastor Zach is just incredible. And you guys, here's the thing. You are here because of the grace of God, but you are also here because of the obedience of that man. And so the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. So let's give a big round of applause, even though it's not here, for Pastor Zach. Also, I want to honor a couple people. First, thank you, Mike, for, for taking care of me as I come in. I've come in, and just, Mike, you've been incredible. Got to meet some of your team. Y'all have a great worship team. Yeah. I like your team up here. They did great. I met Josh and Josh, and I noticed there's a few. Another guy walked up and said, hey, my name is Josh. I'm like, this is too far. Y'all have too many Joshes up here on the stage. And I asked one of the female singers, is your name Josh, too? And so it was just, it was good to meet you guys. But I want to honor a couple people that came with me. Um, Tim Kirkpatrick, who's also in Master's Commission with me. Tim, raise your hand. Just a great guy. Tim has been one of, he, Tim was actually one of the leaders in the school that Pastor Zach and I were in. And so just, he's been one of my best friends and just a godly man that came to be with us. And Jared Robichaud, he is a, uh, one of the leaders at our church. Jared, go ahead and raise your hand, brother. And um, ladies, he is single. I'm just, just going to throw that out there in case y'all are as well. So let's pray as we get ready to dive into God's Word. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of coming to, to share your truth and share your heart, God, with the, the incredible people of Crowley, Louisiana. And uh, God, I just ask that in the next few moments that Holy Spirit, you would be very present and you would cut right to the hearts of people. I pray, God, that you would bypass distractions, bypass things that have happened on the way here, bypass things that would try to steal our attention from this week. I pray that you would be preeminent in this moment. You would have our attention, you would have our focus, and that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so, in addition to loving your pastor, I love the series that you guys have been in, the, the We Are series. Have y'all been learning anything in this series? Has it been good? Great, two people learned something in this series? That's awesome. That's great. But no, this has been, I listened to one of the messages that Pastor Zach did, and I just, I love the concept of we are, letting God define who we are. Because it's very easy in today's society to let pop culture define you, to let society define you. For some of us, to let our background define us. 
But God has something to say about who we are. How many of you know that this morning? God has something to say about who we are. And so that's why I love this series so much. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the vein that you guys have been in with this We Are series. And so I want you to touch the person next to you. I know y'all may be uncomfortable. You may not be used to doing it. I want you to touch the person next to you. Some of y'all are so spread out. That's virtually impossible unless you're a superhero. And I want you to tell them we are loved. Now I want you to do something else. The person that at all costs you avoided to turn to, and you quickly turn to the person on that side, I want you to turn to that other person that you avoided, and you were hoping they didn't notice that you avoided, and I want you to tell them we are loved. We are loved. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We are loved. Now the thing about love is this. Love is one of those words that is very easily misconstrued. Love can be a very confusing word. Love can be a a word that we think we understand parts of it, but we really don't grasp the whole. And some of us are just thoroughly confused about what love is to begin with. And for, for many of us, we've had people tell us our whole lives that they love us, but their actions have not shown us that. Oh, come on, somebody's like, amen, praise God, preacher, you're doing good. I ain't even gotten into it yet, but it's the truth. The truth is that we don't understand love because oftentimes we're not shown true love. And so we have this this just dichotomy in our mind where I think love is supposed to be like this, but then I've experienced love this way. And so what what really, what what is love? What, What is love? And so I try my best to show it, but if I don't understand it, I can't really do that. I'm glad y'all are so so spaced out because I'm noticing I'm spitting a lot with this light. I can see the spit. And so if it hits you, just that's good baptism. Amen. Just be blessed. God loves you. So it's hard for us to understand what love love is. And I'm an associate pastor at, at our church. And what that is is code word for you do about five different jobs. That's what that means. So I'm the associate pastor, this, I oversee the small groups at our, at our campus, and I'm also the youth pastor at our church. And so I work with teenagers a lot, and teenagers, if you're here, let me just let you in on a secret. You have no concept of what love is. None. Parents, come on, that was, y'all should have given me a much better amen than that. <laughs> Teenage girls will say, but Pastor Gabe, I, he loves me. I like this. We can get some good feedback in this message. <laughs> but he loves me. Here's the thing. Whoever just said that you are absolutely right. A teenage boy has no concept of what love is. Now, when he tells you he loves you, he may be sincere. But how many of you know you can be sincerely stupid? <laughs> he's very sincere. And this is what he's saying. Listen, I love you. I love pizza. I love football. I love my mom. He has no concept of what we're talking about. And so love is one of those things that it can be misconstrued. And I have two little, two little girls. Um, my oldest daughter, her name is Elin, and she's five years old. She's t- turning six in October, and I'm still waiting for her to love me. And so she kind of does her own thing. She's a tough little cookie. But uh, I love my daughter. I love my oldest, Elin. I love my baby girl, Reagan. She is four years old, 
And Reagan is the exact opposite. When she sees me, her world lights up. When Elon sees me, she's like, oh, hey, Dad, brought anything home? <laughs> no, okay, talk to you tonight. And so, but with my girls, it's one thing that I, I want to show them. I want them to feel overly loved. I want them to grow up knowing what it is to have a man show them what love genuinely is. I want to model that for them. Because if I don't model that for them, they're going to be confused about what it actually looks like. And I refuse to let some guy, some smooth talker, step in and confuse my daughters on what love actually is. And so I refuse to let them do that and then fall prey to that. And so I pray with them at nighttime before they go to bed. I open up doors for them, and I tell them, why is daddy doing this? They'll tell you now, because ladies first. That's right. I drop them off at school, and when I, it's every day that I drop them off at school, and I, I let them out, I tell them two things. I say, Pop, Pop thinks you're what? And they say, special, and what else? Beautiful. Because I'm showing them what love looks like. I'm trying to be a picture of what love looks like for them because I want them to know what it is. I take them on date nights. I do this kind of stuff with them because I want them to see what love really is. Now, I also, I have two girls. I'm praying for a boy. I'm not like Pastor Zach. I'm not trying to have 18 kids by the time I'm 40. I mean, you know, oftentimes people will tell you, pray for your pastor. No, pray for your pastor's wife. Pray for Claire. But here's the thing. And so when it comes to having a boy one day, it's a desire that I have. And I, if I knew, if this was 100% foolproof, I would have a boy, we would probably have one right now. But I'm a little nervous because I still want to be that dad that grows up and I have five girls around me braiding the little bit of hair that I have left. That's just not the picture I have of, of a preferable future. So, but anyway, when I have a boy... I want to model for my son not just how a lady is to be treated, but how you as a man are supposed to treat a lady. I'm the example for him. That's good. You can clap. That's good. Stop. Stop. Okay. I'm the example for what a man is supposed to look like and how a man is supposed to treat a woman for my sons one day when I have them. I want them to see that. I want to model that for them. I want to model with love looks like. And so with that being said, I want to turn to the book of Ephesians that you've been in in this series, and I want to go straight to chapter 5 and dive into our, our text for this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, this is what it says. I'm going to start off with the, the English standard version. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, here's the thing. The beginning of this, and this is one of those cheesy preacher lines, but just bear with me as I say it. The first word in this is, therefore. And so you, whenever you see, I've heard this, whenever you see in the Bible, therefore, then you should ask the question, what is it, therefore? It's a continuing thought of what Paul was talking about in chapter 4 of Ephesians. He's saying this to finish what he started in chapter 5. And so, excuse me, when he started in chapter 4. And so in chapter 4, he's telling us 
this is how you're supposed to live now. You are different as believers. As Christians, you are different than the world that you see around you. And this is something that we have to remind ourselves of often. We have to remember we are not the same as the world that's around us. We may look the same. We may dress the same. We may act the same sometimes. But we are vastly different because we are new creations in Christ. And Paul is reminding us of that. And this is what he transitions out of chapter 4 into verse 1 to say this. Therefore, since you are different and since I'm teaching you how to live, this is what you should do. Be imitators. Everybody say imitators. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And I want to read that same passage, but I want to read it from the message translation. This is what it says. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. I love the message translation. It just expounds on what what God is saying. And so here's the thing. We're to follow the example that Jesus set for us. We're to follow the example of God's love for us because he genuinely loves us more than anyone else has ever loved us. And so with that being said, with that being said, As a parent, I'm talking a lot about parenting this morning because it's the world that I live in with young kids. When it comes to being a parent, how many of you know the greatest joys in life are seeing your kid do something that you would do? Right? Okay. Now, how many of you also know that the greatest dreads in life are seeing your kids do something that you would do? Right, now now I'm talking, right? Now I'm preaching. And so... I love, I love, obviously, when my kids imitate the good stuff, but then I also know that they're going to imitate the bad stuff sometimes. That's why it challenges me to be a great model for them, or to try, excuse me, to be a great model for them. It doesn't always work. And if, you have, if there's any pastor's kids in here, you know sometimes the greatest challenge is you see dad behind closed doors when dad's having a bad day. You know when dad's having a rough moment. And so sometimes that's a challenge for a pastor's kid. So I encourage you, give a lot of grace to pastor's kids. Give a lot of grace because they need it. They need it. But when it comes to being an example, that's, that's my role. But my kids are going to not only imitate the good they see in me, but they're going to imitate the bad that they see in me as well. And that's a challenge. And we live in a society that tells us, be original, be yourself, be you. You don't have to imitate anybody. Well, how many of you know that's great to some degree? But if you're trying to learn how to not be dysfunctional like you've grown up, how many of you know you need to imitate some people? Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. You got to fake it until it becomes a normal pattern of who you are. And so God encourages us and Paul encourages us in this moment to imitate Christ, to imitate God's love for us. God wants us to do this. Now, I remember the moment when... I realized, as much as I did not want to become this, that I became my parents. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
I remember the moment that it happened, and it just sunk in not too long ago that I've become my parents. I was disciplining my oldest daughter, and she's crying. And I said the dreaded parental words, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. I could quit right there and go, you know what? I've become my dad. It's all over. It's all over. But none of us want to become that. None of us want to do that. But it's in our nature to imitate what's been modeled for us. Because we don't necessarily know what direction to go. And so the direction we pick is what we've seen. That's why it behooves us as parents to really watch the example that we give our children. Husbands, watch how you talk to your wives in front of your kids. Watch how you talk to your wives, period. But especially in front of your children. Wives, be careful how you respect and honor your husband. Sometimes they don't deserve it. Can I be honest? Sometimes they don't. But it's in that moment that they need it the most. Husbands, in that moment when your wife has gotten on your last nerve is the moment that you need to show her tender love and mercy the most. Your children are watching this. And if you have little girls, they're going to watch how you respect and honor dad. And they're going to one day mimic that and respect their husbands that same way. If you have sons, if you talk about women like they're a game, one day your sons are going to treat women like they're a game. Why? Because they, they're going to model what's been shown to them. So as I'm saying all of this, I want to take you to a, a man in the Bible who's going to exemplify these things that I'm talking about today. But before I talk to you about him, let me tell you, there's two parts of this scripture that I just read that I really just want to, I want to break it down very simply into these two things. This is what this verse is saying. You are loved, number one, and number two, act like it. You are loved, so act like it. Now, the man in the Bible that, that really is a picture of this, many of us, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this man's story. There's a song about this man. There's all kind of stuff about this guy. But let me just give you a little bit of a background history about this man before I even tell you who he is. He was a man who, who was not very favored by the people in his community. Nobody really liked this guy. Now, he was feared. He was respected. But he was despised, he was hated, and he was shunned by his own people. This man, outwardly, it looked like he had it all together. It looked like this was the kind of guy that most people wanted to be like, unless you were one of his people. This guy had, outwardly, he had it going on. Inwardly, he was a wreck. Inwardly, he was broken. Inwardly, he was confused. Inwardly, He'd, he'd become so self-indulgent, and it was all about me, 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 me. How many of you know people that got meitis? He just had a bad case of meitis, and it was all about him, me, 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 me. And how many of you know as you live that meitis lifestyle, eventually you get empty and broken because you can't, you can't feel that need. No matter how much you thought you could, it just doesn't happen. So this guy was broken. This guy was, he was hurting. He was upset. He, was, he felt rejected by the people that were supposed to accept him and loved him, he felt rejected. The man that I'm talking about is the man Zacchaeus in the Bible. How many of y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? How many of you know the song? Okay, we're not going to sing in a church. We're a new style of church. 
But Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Let's put it that way. Zacchaeus was a short man. And, and here's the thing. We all know that we know the story of Zacchaeus, but I want to go there. And I, want to, I want to dive into it just a little bit before we close. And I want you to get the picture of what happens when you figure out that you're loved and you act like it. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 19. It's in verse 1, it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. We're talking about Jesus passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus, he had stuff. He was also a tax collector. And not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which meant that he was the boss of the tax collectors. And back in the Jewish culture, in this particular time frame, tax collectors were not favored by people. They were judged by the Jewish people because most of them were Jews that turned their back on the other Jews. Because they would go to the Jewish people and take their taxes that were supposed to go to Rome. But then they would charge them these extra fees so that they could pad their pockets. So these were Jews getting rich off of other Jews because they had a position within the Roman Empire. So they were hated. And this guy was the boss of the hated people. So nobody really liked Zacchaeus. Nobody was really a fan of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was also, like we mentioned, a short man. And so as Jesus is passing by, he couldn't see Jesus because there's all these taller people around him, and he's trying to look, and he can't. And there were hindrances between him and Jesus. How many know sometimes there's hindrances between you getting to Jesus? So for Zacchaeus, he had this. And this was also a man that was labeled. He was labeled. People hated him because of his job. Now, his name, some people may think he was not a His name suggests that he was a Jewish man. And this Jewish man was labeled by the other people, the other Jews, a sinner, which meant they had nothing to do with him. How many of you have ever been labeled before? Ever had people tell you that you're not good enough? Ever had people tell you that you're not righteous? You're not a good person. I don't want my kids playing with you. I don't want my kids coming to your house. I don't, want, I don't want those people to be around you. I don't associate with you because you're not as good as we are. That's the kind of life that Zacchaeus was living. So outwardly, it looked like, man, Zach had it going on. But inwardly, he was rejected. He was scorned. He was, he was hurt by the people. Let's keep going. And then here comes this holy man, Jesus. Jesus comes walking through the city of Jericho where Zacchaeus is. And, and Zacchaeus says, well, he surely this man will have absolutely nothing to do with me because since he is a Jew, he knows about me. He knows who I am. And he will have nothing to do with me. But man, I, I've heard about him. I've heard about these miracles that he's done. I've heard about these great things that he's done. And so I just want to, I just want to get, I just want to see him. If I can just see Jesus, that'll make my day. I know he will have absolutely nothing to do with me because like my own people say, I'm a sinner and I'm not worth anything and I'm not good enough. But at least I can be around Jesus just for a moment. This is where we keep going in our story. Verse 4 says, 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him with joy. Let me ask you a question. We see this, that Jesus is passing by. There's lots of people there. And then Jesus, is no, Jesus notices this little guy climbing up a tree just to see him. And Jesus says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. I want to come spend some time with you. What did Zacchaeus do to earn that? Did Zacchaeus do anything to merit that kind of attention and that kind of love? For here, Jesus is the most popular man in Jerusalem at this time frame. He's doing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's healing blind people. Everybody wants to be around this guy. And then he stops his busy schedule to look up at a man that nobody likes, that nobody cares about, that everybody's rejecting. And he says, I want to come spend time with you today. No. What, did, what does Zacchaeus do to earn that? Absolutely nothing. The reason that happened is because Jesus loved him. That's it. God loved him. He did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to merit that. It's only because God loved him. Let me remind you of something this morning that maybe you've forgotten. And maybe you came into church today and the the only thing that you really needed to hear this morning is what I'm about to say. God loves you. And you did nothing to earn that love. You can do nothing to keep that love. He just loves you. I'm talking about at your worst moment, he loves you. In your darkest moment, when you're going, if they only knew what I was really like, he still loves you. If they only knew what I did last night before I even came to church, he still loves you. If they knew, Pastor Gabe, the thoughts that are going through my mind on a continual basis that I just don't know how to stop, if they knew just how dirty I really was, look at me. He still loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing that you can do that will change the fact that he loves you. Listen, let me just put, I'll put it to you like this. God's love for you is not contingent on anything that you do. It's contingent on who he is. God cannot fight against his own nature. His own nature is to love you. And that's why you're here. You did nothing to earn it. He just loves you. Hold on one second. Pastor Gabe, that was really good. That was a great point. Thank you. He just loves you. It's just the truth. And you need to remind yourself of that. Walking in here, I know what it's like. I've been in church since I was, well, my dad was a minister, but I, I wasn't in church the whole time that he was doing that. But I got born again at 16 years old. I know I look 28, but I'll be 36 in December. Been in church for a long time. And I know what it's like to come to church and to put on my shell and to put on my front and to act like everything is okay. And inwardly, I feel like God's a million miles away. And I feel like if only the people really knew me, 
they would reject me the same way that I perceive God has rejected me. Nothing could be further from the truth. The church is not a place for perfect people. The church is a hospital for hurting and broken and messed up people. That's who we are. So know this, this morning, you are loved. You're loved by God. And we could stop right there. But the truth is, is that's not where our story ends. Our story doesn't just end with this extravagant love that Jesus shows to Zacchaeus. We could stop the story there, and Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and they just great, and we never hear anything else from Zacchaeus. But for the rest of our eternity, we know that God loves Zacchaeus. But that's not where we stop. This is what the Bible says in verse 7. It says, and when they saw it, the religious leaders, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be with the guest of a man who's a sinner. How many have ever had people grumble and complain about you when you're trying to do right? They just, why is Jesus going to be with this guy? The devil will always plant a seed around you. A weed, excuse me, around you to try to choke the life of what God is starting in your life. But that's not, Zacchaeus pays no attention to that, neither does Jesus. This is what verse 8 says. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now get this picture. Get this picture. Here's this guy who thought Jesus should have absolutely nothing to do with him. He climbs a tree just to see Jesus. Jesus pays attention to him. They connect. Religious people start judging this connection. Zacchaeus is feeling loved. He's feeling like somebody, Jesus actually cares about me, this sinful man. And this is what he says. Because you love me, because you've shown me this attention, because you've cared for me, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give away half of my goods to the poor. Zacchaeus was a very rich man. I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor. Now, back in that day, the Jewish culture... They would consider if you gave away one-fifth of your earnings as a pious good deed. That was kind of a good limit. If I'm giving away a fifth of what I have, then I'm a religious, righteous man. That was considered acceptable. This man went far beyond that and said, half of what I have is gone. It's gone to the poor. And then he also says, if I've cheated anyone, now keep in mind, his entire job was to cheat people. And if I've cheated them, I'm going to give back four times what I stole from them. In that moment, there was a change. There was a shift inside of Zacchaeus. What's the picture that I want you to see from this? When you are shown love, you show love. You show love. It's that saying, hurt people, hurt people. Guess what? Heal people, heal people. Loved people, love people. And Zacchaeus was loved by God. Listen to me, there is an entire community around you that need to experience what you're experiencing right now. They're hurting, they're broken, they're fragmented, they're confused, they're angry, they're bitter, they're all of these things. And guess who has the answer? The loved people. 
the ones that have been shown the love of God. You are loved. So now as a church, let's act like it. Let's show love to the people that have yet to experience what we get to experience on a weekly basis. Listen to me, never take for granted that you have the freedom to come in and sit in these nice, comfortable chairs. One of the guys that came with me, Jared, sat down on one of these chairs and said, man, this is real comfortable. I'm thinking, that's not good for my preaching. I should be in like hard plastic chairs. Keep you awake. Keep you going. But never take for granted that you're able to sit here in this comfortable environment and hear the gospel and let God's love be poured out on you. Tim Kirkpatrick, the guy with me, has traveled all over the world doing missions trips and and missions projects all over the world. And Tim can attest, other places in the world don't have it as good as we have it, do we? Do they, Tim? We're blessed. We're a blessed country. But beyond just being a blessed country, as Christians and believers, we are blessed more so than the world around us. And we have the honor to share that love with the world around us. What does that look like, Pastor Gabe? That looks like the community survey that you're going to do. That's what that looks like. That looks like grabbing the hold of somebody that maybe you're uncomfortable to talk with because of whatever types of division and socioeconomical divisions and whatever. That looks like you taking the step across the room, showing love to that person and sharing the love that you've received with them. That's what Zacchaeus did. You may be going, Pastor Gabe, how do I, I mean, I don't know, how do I do that? Like loving people is really hard. Sometimes it seems like love is a personality thing. It's not. It may seem to come more natural to you if you're a nurturing personality, if you're a driven D personality, then maybe you don't always feel that. Have you been shown love? Then give love. How do I love my boss, Pastor Gable? Seems like they're always out to give me, to get me. How have you been shown love? How do I love my teenagers who are driving me crazy? How have you been shown love? Love. How do I forgive? You don't understand. They hurt me. They, they stabbed me in the back. How do I do that? How do I forgive them? How have you been shown love? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You do what God has done for you. The Bible says to be imitators of God and of his love. That's who we are. You are the apple of God's eye. But guess what? He doesn't want just you to be the apple of his eye. There's people around you that he wants to bring into this environment so that they can see his love and just how much he cares about them. And some of them will never come into this environment unless you go out into their environment and get them. I want to end with a story, because I know it's not easy. It's not easy. Sometimes it's not even easy to to show this love with the people in your own household, let alone the people in the world. I get it. I know. But it's possible, and it's possible through the grace of God. I want to share the story of a couple. Their name was um, Ronnie and Anita Smith. Ronnie and Anita were on staff, or Ronnie was, excuse me, at a church in Austin, Texas. 
and Ronnie had his master's degree, and he's working for this church, and him and his wife had been watching a whole bunch of things on TV, and they were noticing God was starting to put on their heart the nation of Libya. And I don't know if you know this, but Libya has not been a very safe environment, not a very friendly place to live. So he and his wife had been watching that, and God had been slowly putting it on their heart that they need to go and show the love of God to the people of Libya. So this man, Ronnie and Anita, packed up their newborn son, and they moved to Benghazi, Libya. And while they're there, shortly after the whole thing that many of you read about on the political scene with Benghazi, they stayed. And Ronnie became a chemistry teacher in Libya. And he's at this high school, and he had two goals, two focuses. One, to teach the people of Libya about chemistry, to help them. But then also, and and his words, were to share the joy of knowing God. So God sent them there as missionaries, and they went there to love because they'd been loved. To love these people that nobody wanted to go to Libya. Our own military was being killed there. Why would we as civilians want to go there and show the love of God to these people? But they answered the call and they went. And they, they went there and Ronnie served those teenagers and he served them well. And then one Christmas break, Ronnie sent Anita and their young son back to America for the Christmas break. And he was going to go to meet them. But he stayed back because he had to see these kids through their midterm exam. He just loved them. He loved them. He'd become, he'd gotten a great name with the children in this community. And he genuinely loved them with God's love. So he stayed back. And he told his wife, I'll be there. I'll come visit. I mean, I'll come back, excuse me, with you to America as soon as I can get this done. And give me a couple weeks and then I'll come back. One morning... Ronnie was on one of his normal jogs and he was shot and killed right there in Benghazi. And he left his wife to be a widow. He left his son to grow up without a dad. All because of this love, right? We, We went there for love. We went there to share God's love. Right? I mean, shouldn't things have, have all worked out? And as I hear this story, and some of you hear this story, the, the thought would be, what about Anita? How does she feel? Is she, is she mad at God? I mean, it seems like she should be. Is she mad at the people of Libya? She sure should be. But Anita, Anita wrote a letter to the, the people that killed her husband. I don't know if they ever gotten it. I, I didn't see all of the details of that part of the story. But she wrote this letter. She said, to his attackers, I love you and I forgive you. And then she asked this question, how could I not? How could I not? For Jesus taught us to love our enemies, not to kill them or seek revenge 
Jesus sacrificed his life out for the love for the very people who killed him, as well as for us today. His death and resurrection opened the door for us to walk on a straight path to God in peace and forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, Ronnie is with Jesus in heaven now. Jesus did not come only to take us to paradise when we die, but also to bring peace and healing on this earth. Ronnie loved you because God loved you. Ronnie loved you because God loved him. Not because Ronnie was so great, but because God is so great. Signed, Anita Smith. Here's a woman that had every reason to not show love. But she showed love because she was loved. 